True story. The woman behind the ticket counter motioned us forward. Despite my visible anticipation, I waited until my sister and her husband had collected their pre-purchase vouchers before making my way up. I had not been to a symphony orchestra in ages, and it was hard not to be enamored by the atmosphere in the building. Not only were people decked out more than normal, the ceilings were framed with gold plaster, crown molding and ordained with ornate hand-painted trim. A rare sort of craftsmanship in our current age of minimalism and Marie Kondo. I was greeted at the counter by thick glasses and overly glossy lips, which were thankfully hidden by an equally glossy window. April Clausen? The woman questioned as she peered at my ID and then back at me through the hardly transparent glass. And who else? Um, just me, I answered. Are you picking up just one ticket? She questioned again, as though she had misheard. That's right, I replied. Just the one ticket, please. She began shuffling through the small brown box in front of her before repeating once more. So you are just one? You are alone? You don't have anyone with you? She rather shook her head as though her question were a statement. Was my request the first of its kind she had seen all day? I only bought one ticket, I reemphasized, beginning to feel rather singled out. What was this? Bridget Jones' diary. Pasting a, on a smile, I took the ticket from the small drop bin and dashed over to where my clan was waiting for me on the side. Sheesh. For some reason, my interaction with this woman came back to me later in the week. It was not because I was upset over the rather comical exchange, but more because it was highlighted for me that no matter how confident I am in my relationship status, the world is always going to tell me something is missing. I am single. Singleness. That is our topic today in our series entitled Better Relationships. And as we get going on this subject, it might be tempting for those of you who are watching, listening, who are married or in a relationship to tune out because you think, ah, this has nothing to do with me. Sorry, but I couldn't disagree more. Stick with me. How we do singleness well is not just for the single, but for all of us to do better together. In the context of writing to the whole church in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul brings up the subject of marriage and singleness as part of a complete discussion. From this, the most thorough treatment that we have in the Bible, I'm going to discuss living life as a single in the following ways. First of all, singleness is a viable option. Singleness is a difficult option. And lastly, singleness is a commendable option. And then we'll conclude by discussing how we, the faith community, can collectively do singleness better. So first, singleness is an option. Join with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25. Paul writes there, concerning the betrothed, or literally virgins, the New Living Translation puts it, the young women who are not yet married. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Now, from our typical perspective, you've probably never thought, hey, I wonder if it is a sin to be married. I know there's a pastor who has begun his officiating of a marriage ceremony with that idea. I want you to know, as this couple stands before you, they are not sinning. Everyone chuckles because the thought has never occurred to them, and it does seem funny. Ha ha. 
Paul is giving an opinion on singleness in marriage that is rather striking in contrast to our world. By implication, what he is saying is that being single, remaining single is an option you can choose. Newsflash, marriage is not the only ultimate option for living your life. Marriage is not the prize, the gold medal. Marriage is not a must have in order to label your life a success. Your identity is not in your marriage status. You could choose singleness. And for many, it is also a reality. The organization Pew Research is looking at churches in the U.S. In the age bracket 30 to 49, about 40% are single. In the age bracket 50 to 64, there's not much difference. About 40% are single. And in the category of 65 and higher, an even higher percentage of people of the faith community are not married. If you had children, youth, and young adults under 30, so that more than 50% of the church is single, how tragic it would be if we held up marriage as the preferred status, making everyone else wannabes, second-class citizens, forever categorized as the odd ones out, or at least until they get married. As a single, have you ever felt that way? For those who have been married, there can be the unfortunate experience of separation or divorce, and sadly, it can be the death of a spouse, meaning that even if you are married now, you could be single again. But life is not then over. Like you, I was born single. I was single until 22 years of age. I was married for 32 years, and I've been a single for eight years again. I have three daughters, two of them married quite late in relationship to their friends. And the youngest, April, at age 35, is not married. And I've learned so much from her in our discussions and what she has written on singleness, which is salt and peppered throughout what I have to say here. We should remember that our Savior Jesus Christ lived a life as a single man. Seems to me his life could never be characterized as second best. And consider the great and most influential leader of the early church, the Apostle Paul, who also lived as a single man either his whole life or as a widow. And Paul says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7, I wish that all were as I myself am. Singleness is a viable option. Secondly, though, singleness is a challenging option. There is a reason why the dating apps in this world produce billions of dollars in revenue. Most of us have a desire for intimacy emotionally and intimacy physically. Think sex. By God's design, that desire is to be met and only met in a profound way through a relationship in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. If you are going to live God's way to live in singleness, it's to live with that sexual desire unfulfilled. And that is challenging. Paul recognizes that at the beginning of the chapter here. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Corinth had a sexually charged culture, just like ours. And while some were advocating for complete liberty with sex, there were some who were responding to it in the complete opposite. And this may seem strange to you. There has always been a stream of people who, like ascetics, that consider sex, even within the boundaries that God gave it, to be something not so good and less spiritual. And Paul responds to their thinking that said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. As he does so, Paul affirms the importance of the husband and wife to experience sexual intimacy. We read, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. 
Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is realistic to acknowledge the world of temptation that we live in, and from that perspective, he advocates that people should get married. In verse 2, he says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. To be single, to remain single, is to face the waves of relentless sexual messaging and temptation that addresses a legitimate desire wired into who you are with no acceptable way to participate in that if you want to be faithful to God. It is not impossible, but it is difficult. Singleness is a challenging option. And it's challenging for other reasons too. It's too simplistic to reduce it just to sex. And it is that, but more. Deep friendship, companionship, sacrificial love. It is to know someone at the deepest level, body, soul, spirit. Singleness can mean the absence of that. And singleness is difficult because you may have long had dreams of a family of your own. You envision children and the the joy of raising them. Difficult because you haven't purposely chosen singleness, but neither have you found the kind of person you want to marry. Or if you have, that person isn't available or just doesn't feel the same way. Difficult when you do desire to be married and most of your friends are, but it's just not happening for you and you are getting older and older and older. Singleness can feel like COVID when there is no end in sight. There can be real pain with singleness. And it's compounded because in in that state, well-meaning people say to you things like, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. Or, hey, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. Or blunt questions like, dating anyone? Implicit in that, of course, is that you should be. You have a lack. You should be further along than where you are. Blunt questions, blunt statements like, you're too picky. People outside the church are actually more okay with singleness than those in the church. Christian culture has not made it easy to be single. Right now, you can listen to the local Christian radio station from just across the border as it plays the ad for Married in 12-Month Challenge. I kid you not. All too often, the message in the church is not that singleness is a viable option in which to live your life to the fullest, but rather pushing marriage into the status of idolatry. Your life can't possibly be complete in Christ alone. You need Jesus and a spouse. And that is so wrong. According to Paul, three, singleness is a commendable option. In verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul presents marriage as the best option from the perspective of the sexually charged climate the Corinthians were living in. From a different perspective, a present distress, which perhaps was the cultural climate of persecution they were experiencing, Paul says it is good for a person to remain as he or she is, which means, if you are single, to remain single. 
Paul further reasons now that from the perspective of focus, singleness is commendable. He says, I, I want you to be free from anxieties, which is not so much talking about free from worry, but freedom from distraction. For example, and I can speak from experience, when you're cooking and you have several things going at once, the, the rice on the pot while the burgers are on the barbecue and the onions and the mushrooms are in the frying pan, it's not that you are worried about the pot of rice boiling over. It, it happens way too often for me. But, but you do have concern and you watch it and you turn the heat down before it makes a big mess. You have to pay attention to it. When you're paying attention to that, your focus is taken off of something else. Not that I've ever done this, but you just might burn the burgers. There is an attention cost. Paul isn't criticizing anyone for being married. More than it's not a sin. Marriage is amazing. Paul writes elsewhere that marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his love for the church. I mean, what a high view. But Paul does want us to have a realistic perspective that there are advantages to being single when it comes to focusing on the Lord. The single can be more undivided in their attention to God. This is commendable. From this perspective, Paul writes, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Have you ever considered singleness in such a positive light? Church, have we? Singleness in pursuit of Jesus is commendable because of its focus. Singleness in pursuit of Jesus is also commendable because of its demonstration of faith, sacrifice, and self-control. Let me explain. All of us have unmet desires. The couple that can't have kids, the person diagnosed, diagnosed with a lingering health condition, the person buried beneath a pile of debt. We all have something in our lives we desire to be different. What is that for you? Are you willing to exercise faith in those situations, trusting God and staying obedient? How we live out singleness is just a discipleship issue like any other area of our lives where we feel that we have a lack. When a single with unmet desires of a marriage partner refuses the notion that God has failed them because they haven't found the one and instead trusts in Jesus without bitterness, that is faith. When a single, whether straight or gay, choosing to live in pursuit of Jesus, resists temptation to taste the pleasures of sex outside of God, God's boundaries, knowing godliness demands abstinence, that is a sacrifice and self-control, and it is honorable in God's sight. Singleness is a viable, difficult, but commendable option from which to live your life well before God. And that is the target for all of us living well before God, bringing glory to God. And with that as the target, let me draw some practical applications for both those of you who are single and those of you who are married as to how we can together do singleness well. So to the single and the married, let's not make an idol out of marriage. Pastors will tell you on one day they'll be talking with someone who is single and consumed with that, struggling with a desire to be married, but frustrated in that pursuit. On another day, they will be talking with someone who is married, but consumed and struggling with their desire to be free from that and be single again. As I've said, marriage can be a beautiful relationship. It can give us a taste of what love can be like at the deepest level. Like, like any idol, it can also be the source of greatest pain and disappointment when it doesn't live up to its impossible billing. Marriage is not meant to be that which occupies the place of our highest desire and greatest fulfillment. 
God is. When married speak to singles as if their lives are deficient because they aren't married, that the best life can only be reached if it includes a spouse, we are speaking words that substitute marriage in the place of God, and that's idolatry. If you're a single, as I now am, and we become totally consumed with what we lack, if being single becomes the dominant subject of the conversations in your and my head, if, if you can't be happy without a spouse, even though you have Jesus and every spiritual blessing given to you in Christ, isn't it obvious? We have placed marriage above our relationship with God. That is idolatry. Don't let the desire for marriage control you. Release it to God. My daughter April relates this story of Susan. Uh, it's a pseudonym, but with her permission, a friend of hers in Europe who is going through a very dark and difficult time. While attending a New Year's party with friends, a hurtful comment made by one of the young couples about her being single sent Susan reeling into depression. She began to question God and his plans for her life. Why would he let her wait until she was in her late 20s without meeting anyone? Most of her friends were married and she felt a pressure to be in the same stage of life. She longed for a partner. She was lonely and tired of comments from others about how to meet someone and what she should do, how she was not trying hard enough. She made a vow to God after the party. If she was not in a relationship by her 27th birthday, just one year from then, she would kill herself. The clock began ticking. Susan is now 36. She is an incredible woman of God whom I look up to in so many ways. I am so thankful she has lived to tell her story. Susan is not married, and her life is joyful, vibrant, and full of meaning. You can see in the process of such deep pain and disappointment how the Holy Spirit was at work in Susan's heart. He began to show her that God had not abandoned her because she was single. Just as he, he has not abandoned those who could not have children, or whose spouses died, or who lost their health, Susan's frustration and disappointment stemmed from wanting marriage more than she wanted God. Marriage was becoming an idol in her life, the one thing she was willing to live for or die without. Let's not make an idol out of marriage. In light of who God is, and what he has done for us, and how he has lavished his love on us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's make the target living well before God, bringing glory to God. In that light, let me address the singles. Leverage your singleness, don't squander it. The desire to be married is real and genuine and at times painful. But if, what if we could look at this season of singleness as a gift? especially for the never married, a season in which to spend more quality time with God. I know some parents with young children who yearn for the kind of white space in their life you have the opportunity to take advantage of. What if you could see your singleness as a gift to be intentional about developing in your character, becoming a better person, and potentially a better spouse? What if we could see our singleness as an opportunity to be a gift to our families? and the family of God as we have more time and space to serve in different capacities than others have privilege to. My oldest sister, Sharon, never married. And because she had no immediate family, obligations of her own to a spouse, to kids, I mean, she had the space and made the investment to be there for others. Her siblings, her nephews and nieces, a graduation, a special basketball game, a wedding shower, whenever there was a big moment for any of the extended family, you knew that Sharon would be there and there with her heart fully engaged in support of you. 
Sharon was recently diagnosed with throat cancer. In March, she went through a traumatic procedure to have the cancer removed and a tracheostomy performed, which means she can't talk and needs ongoing support. Now in her time of need, it is moving to see the number of people that are coordinating with each other to serve her. Siblings, friends, nephews, nieces, sister-in-laws, neighbors, all of us have experienced Sharon using her singleness as a gift to serve us, and we want to serve her back. One of the consistent themes of this series is that God has called us to follow Jesus together. One of the lines in our vision statement at Central Heights Church is developing healthy churches, and that happens as each one of us in the church family is valued, married, and single, appreciated, and encouraged in their walk with God. So to the married, I say this, make space for singles. It's always good to open our web of relationships to those who are different than us. Ask yourselves, do we have genuine friendships with those who aren't married? And if not, what would it look for, for us to be intentional to do that? Help singles to process their stage of life. Encourage singles on what matters most in their journey, their relationship with God, as they will encourage you. It will be reciprocal. You don't need to pity them. Don't make it your life's work to play the matchmaker. Don't project your story onto theirs. You know, this is the way it worked for us, so this is the way it should work for you. Find ways to celebrate the milestones in their lives as they have probably done with you. I mean, have you ever thought how every step towards marriage and then family gets a party, engagement, wedding, baby reveal, baby birth, anniversary, baby birthday? What can you do to celebrate the singles and, and their life and their journey and do it together with them? On social, why not post a highlight of your friendship with one who is single and has blessed your life, and unless you don't have one, which takes you back to the first step, make space for singles. Married, singles, rich, poor, male, female, the nations, all walking together to know and follow Jesus better. This is God's picture for how the church should be. April writes, as singles, we can find ourselves being defined by our relationship status. Although most of us know that the term single simply means the state of being unmarried, we seem more inclined to steer our understanding of the word to the synonyms and connotations associated with this status. Single, alone, not accompanied by another or others, solo, by oneself, etc. The world may tell us that as singles we li are living solitary lives, ones that are uncommitted to any person, hence the freedom to engage in casual, destructive relationships and habits. That we are, to use dictionary synonyms for single, odd, lone, solitary individuals who are missing out on a fuller life of happiness. But nothing is further from the truth. We have a God who loves us, gave his son for us, and by our faith in him placed each one of us in a community of faith. God calls the church his body. As April puts it in that light, I am not single and neither are you. Hey, I want to close this time with prayer and maybe you've been watching or listening today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And when I talk about the family of God and this community of faith, um, you know you're not part of that. But I want you to know that Jesus died, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father so that you could maybe in a relationship with him. And all you have to do is say yes to him. 
On our website, there's a button called Follow Jesus. I encourage you to go there, click on it. It'll tell you more about the story of Jesus, what he's done for you. And there's even a prayer whereby you can begin to enter into that relationship with him and be part of this beautiful family of God. God, I thank you that you've left no one alone in your family, that you've called us, Lord, to journey together into that journey of grace and mercy and, and empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I wanna to pray today for those who are single. Lord, I pray that you would encourage him. I pray, Lord, that you would give them your perspective. And for those who are married, Lord, I also pray, God, that um, you would help us collectively to see the state that we're in, whether single or married, in a new light, Lord, that both can be a gift from you that we need to live well before God. And I'm asking for the presence and the power of Jesus Christ to make that possible for us to do better. In Christ's name I pray, amen.